everyone. I'm Kyle Unruh, and this is Another Round of Thoughts. Before we dive into this week's episode, I realized I forgot to do something last week. I'll blame it on first time episode, figuring it out as I go. Um, But since this is supposed to be a bar themed kind of cool laid back atmosphere, I had a drink that I was drinking and I made me a gin and tonic. I didn't mention it at all in last week's episode. So this week, I'm making sure to tell you guys what I'm drinking. Now, obviously, if you're driving and you're listening to this, do not be doing this. But if you're just chilling, grab a drink or whatever you like. Doesn't even have to be alcohol, just whatever you want to drink and sit back and relax. You know, pretend like that we're in the same bar having this conversation would be really cool. So anyway, this week I am drinking a White Claw. Judge me if you will. I'm judging myself. But when I'm recording this, I really did not feel like going out to the grocery store to get anything else. So I found a White Claw in the bottom of my fridge next to my leftovers. So this is what I'm drinking. (laughs) Take it or leave it. It's fine. All right. So the topic this week is about gambling, which is another controversial topic uh, similar to alcohol. Do it in moderation. Don't go crazy. But specifically, I want to talk about blackjack and a recent trip to Las Vegas I took with my friend Sarmia for her birthday. And I'm hoping for future episodes that Sarmia is going to be a guest on here. She's super, super cool. You guys are going to love her. She's awesome. So she said she wanted to go to Las Vegas for her birthday. No questions asked. I said, yeah, let's go. So we flew out over Labor Day weekend and we stayed at Treasure Island on the Strip, which was super cool. We got a great rate because we kind of offset our trip by a couple days. So we didn't leave on Labor Day weekend, but we kind of had some overlap for it which is perfect. We saw a Cirque du Soleil show, which was amazing, and a realization that I will never be able to do the stuff that they're doing with their bodies physically. And I'm okay with that because if I can just pretend for an hour and a half that I'm that athletic or that coordinated, then I think that's enough for me. We went to some clubs. We stayed out till 4 or 5 a.m., For Sarmia's birthday, I got her a yoga class with like a dolphin under the sea aquarium visitation thing where you could do yoga in the bottom area and you could have windows that looked out into the dolphin exhibit and you could basically do yoga with the dolphins. I thought it was going to be high class. This is maybe a PSA. Uh, Don't spend your money on that necessarily, especially if you've been out clubbing the entire night before and are operating on three hours of sleep. It really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. The best part of the experience, according to Sarmia, was the fact that we got access to the spa afterwards and she took a three hour nap in there. So that was worth it. But the yoga itself was not. So spend your money elsewhere. But in planning for the the trip, Sarmia mentioned that her favorite game to play is blackjack. And living here in Texas, we don't get gambling like we do in other states. So we were super excited to go. And she said, you know, just I don't want She said she didn't want to gamble the entire time but that she wanted to at least spend some good time at a blackjack table. And I know how to play blackjack. I know how to play a lot of the casino games conceptually, but I don't have a lot of experience walking up to a table, sitting down, putting my money out there. And so I did a lot of research and I did a lot of like strategies. How should I play? What is, you know, what's the appeal? How do you walk up to a table? How do you leave a table? So I read all these things and I thought I was super, super ready. So before we go any further, I'll give a quick overview of Blackjack, just in case anyone doesn't know what this game is. It's probably the most popular game in the casino and has a really, really low house advantage. And the house advantage is something that gamblers use to say, 
you know, the, the saying the house always wins, how much does the house win? So for blackjack, if you're playing with optimal strategy, it's about 0.5%. So if a coin flip is 50-50, the house edge for blackjack is something like 50.5% versus 49.5%. So it's just a little bit in the house's favor, which is how they stay open, which is why they don't charge you to get in the door. They know they're going to get your money. And so that's kind of how that works out. So I remember we went to the downtown Fremont Street area, which is the old Vegas. And from what all the Uber drivers and Lyft drivers told us that live there, that's where they go gamble. They don't really gamble on the strip. And I'm glad they told us that because we were able to find some cheaper tables. A lot of the tables on the strip are about $10 minimums. And I mean... I'm not rolling in a lot of money. And especially if I know that, quote, the house always wins, I want to have the best chance. So I was looking for the $5 tables, which is probably the cheapest you can find. Well, downtown at the Fremont Street Casino, specifically we played at the Four Queens, they have those $5 tables. And so when the when the time came, you know, we had walked to the casino, we were super excited and we found the $5 tables. There were two of them and it was super crowded at those tables and I would have loved to sit with Sarmia because, you know, I just would have felt better sitting with someone that I know at the table because, again, as much as the prep that I did, I was still like, I don't want to look like a newbie who's coming in and doesn't really know how to play blackjack and making mistakes in front of people. And it was just a lot of pressure that I put on myself, honestly, that I didn't have to put on myself, but I was intimidated. And so with the crowd there at those two tables, we weren't able to sit at the same table. So Sarmia took her seat. She was super confident, which is awesome in the way that I should have been. But the other seat at the table right next to her, even though it was next to her, I froze up and I could not sit down and put my money down. So I just kind of hung out around there with Sarmia. I felt awkward. And then at the end of it, I decided to just go play some slot machines because I kind of just chickened out. And I was really um, kind of disappointed in myself for that because I practice so much on how to play blackjack. Why can't I just sit down at the damn table just because I was scared to make mistakes and it was just an intimidating atmosphere knowing that, you know, you're playing against the house and there's all these people that have traveled from afar and you might be sitting next to someone who's putting a thousand dollars down on a hand and you're putting five dollars down. I mean, it's it's a lot to take in all at once. And so what I wanted to do for this episode is kind of do a debrief on how to play blackjack in a way that works out for you and works out for you doesn't mean make money. It means being armed with enough confidence and knowledge to sit down at the table so that you can not freeze up like I did. Um, Because if I'm having this intimidation walking into a casino, I'm sure other people are as well. And the way that I set out trying to figure this out was First by research, but I really couldn't find a lot of studies on true blackjack strategies. I found some kind of schools of thought and some people were throwing statistics out, but it really wasn't conclusive or cohesive. So I took it into my own hands and I decided to code up a simulation. And so I'm going to walk through how I coded the simulation, what I tried to find from this and kind of what we can learn by creating our own data in this case. All right, so before we get into details about this, I need to give some credit where credit is due. I didn't start from scratch with the simulation. I found some code online at GitHub that I repurposed for this, and the author of this code is Seblau. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly. It might be the White Claw. 
we'll see. I'll put a link on the website to this episode post so you can kind of see what the code started with. Uh, this author, Sedlaw, focuses on card counting strategy, not necessarily just generic blackjack betting strategies, kind of just focusing on one type of strategy. And so I took his starting code and kind of the gameplay that he already has coded, which I, as far as I can tell, was fine. And my modifications were adding different types of betting on top of that. And so we're going to look at four different betting strategies that I could find to be kind of the most common online. One is called the basic strategy. And this is the one that I ended up using in Vegas <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't have the bandwidth to do anything else. So I just bet, bet the minimum each hand, $5 table. You put $5. If you win money, then you keep betting $5. If you lose money, you keep betting $5. No matter what happens, you just stay at the basic level. And in some ways, this is a great strategy for a comparison because it's the control. It's honestly like the simplest that you can get. So if we're trying to measure complexity and intuition on top of this, we need something to compare it to. So the basic strategy is, is perfect for that. The second strategy, and I think the most common that I found online for people that are trying to get creative without having to learn all the card counting techniques, which admittedly, again, I'm not promoting any of this as go out and do this, but it's almost like the, the learning curve for card counting is so high that people have other strategies that they come up with to kind of cut the difference. I understand the appeal to that. The most popular one I found was the Martingale strategy. And this is where every time you lose, you double your bet. So if you start with $5 and you lose, then you bet $10 the next hand. And if you lose that, then you do $20 the next hand. And the theory here is that losing streaks don't last forever and that casinos want you to win every now and then so that you can keep playing and keep gambling. If you just if you know you're going to lose, you're not going to walk in the door. If you're going to lose every hand, it's about the excitement, the entertainment. So the Martingale strategy says if you've been losing a lot, you're due for a win. So keep doubling your bet so that when you do win, it has a bigger impact. That's the theory, at least. Kind of on the flip side, the next most popular theory I came across was Oscar's strategy, and it's Similar to the Martingale strategy in that you double your bet, but you do double your bet every time you win and you go back to your base bet every time that you lose a hand. So your losses are less um, detrimental. They're less impactful and your wins are greater and greater and greater. And the theory here is that winning streaks mean that you're hot, that you're lucky, you know, get in and let it ride. Uh, this is kind of in some ways spiritual to the casino that luck kind of lady luck shows up you know and if she's on your side then keep betting keep betting keep betting don't question her just keep going a little bit of uh superstition here but it's a pretty popular strategy online from what i could tell and then card counting is the last strategy that i coded in and in fact this is one i didn't even touch i just let it ride with the source code that was there and the way that this works is each well, I say this is the way that it works. This is my understanding of how it works is each card in the deck has a certain count value to it. And card counters have to keep track of the running count for the, the cards that are being dealt before the deck is shuffled again. And the strategy that this source code used for the simulations was, you know, it, unless the count is above a certain threshold, which is deemed to be desirable, you keep your bet low. 
so keep it the minimum five bucks, whatever. And then whenever the count jumps and you get a statistical advantage based on how you're counting these cards, then you increase your bet to say, hey, this now the, the deck is in my favor or should be in my favor. Not that it's guaranteed, but you're trying to say the cards that have been dealt prior can affect the cards that are being dealt now. And so some cards are more likely than others, which is in theory true. Um, but again, it's still not a, a surefire thing. Um, the last thing are, are some assumptions that uh, I want to make across the simulation so that we kind of know that everything's on the same page. The only thing changing is the betting strategy per player. So we're assuming that all players are equally rational. And what I mean by that is each player is going to make the same decision no matter what cards are in front of them. So if, if player A is betting one strategy and they would hit on a hand, player B is going to hit on that same hand, even if they're a different strategy. So they're equally rational players. They're just choosing different strategies um, for this. There's an eight deck shoe. And shoe is a term for the number of, of decks of cards that is used for play. That's just so you don't have to shuffle cards as much if you have a lot of players at the table. So an eight deck shoe means eight decks of cards. And then you go through those cards. After a certain point, the dealer then reshuffles and packs a new shoe. And then you keep playing. These are all going to be one on one simulations, meaning that at the table for the basic strategy, it's just the player and the dealer. The player being the basic strategy with their bets and the dealer just playing as a dealer would. Same thing with Martingale, same thing with Oscars, and same thing with card counting. So it's not that all of these players are at the same table at the same time. It's almost like these players are all at different tables playing at the same time. And then the last thing is each player gets a thousand hands, and we go through a hundred players for each betting type. So this is how we get the data. So each player plays a thousand hands, no matter what, basically infinite money. And we just kind of track wins and losses. And then there are a hundred players per strategy. So that's how we got everything set up. And I ran this and the data that I collected is what we're going to go through next. And this is how I've, I've kind of been enlightened for how I'm going to approach uh, blackjack going forward. But before we go through with that, I want to bring awareness to the Gambling Help Network. If you or anyone that you know has a gambling problem, the website to go to is www.ncpgambling.org. And this is the National Council on Problem Gambling. They have a call slash text helpline, 1-800-522-4700. And they have a chat line if you want to go online, ncpgambling.org slash chat. All right, so let's dive into the data. The way that I looked at this first was taking the 100 players through the 1,000 hands, each strategy. Let's look at, over time, kind of at snapshots throughout those 1,000 hands, the percentage of those 100 players that are in the green, that have made money. And kind of the, the milestones I looked at was after hand 1, hand 5, hand 10, hand 50, 100, 250, 500, and then the last hand, 1,000. And I ranked these in terms of, again, the percentage of players that have made money. It's by betting strategy. So at the first hand, so you play one hand at the table, the card counting strategy has the highest percentage. It's at 59% of hands that use the card counting strategy have made money after the first hand. Do we believe this? No. <laughs> Is it useful? No. Because it's just been one hand. And so any of these strategies are equally 
good at one hand because they all start at the same starting point. Each strategy, whether you double your bet after a win or a loss, starts at the minimum, $5. So this was just kind of a crapshoot random chance at the first hand. So the ranking after the first hand was card counting, Martingale, basic, and then Oscars at the bottom. But they all honestly hovered around 50%. Card counting ended up being at 60%, which is great for card counting. But then the lowest one was Oscars, which is 47%, which is really in line with what I would expect, right? I mean, if it's if the house has a little bit of an advantage, then 47% versus, you know, just a little bit above 50% for the rest of them makes a lot of sense. But what's interesting to note is as these hands progress and progress and progress, there's one strategy that surfaced as a dominant, dominant strategy. After hand five, the Martingale strategy had 68% of their hands with positive profit. After 10 hands, Martingale had 71%. After 50, 94%. After 100, 96%. After 250, 95%. After 500, 95%. And at the last hand, 95% of the Martingale strategy hands or players had a profit in their bank. So that's it, right? A Martingale is the best strategy to use. Um, go out, use it, have fun, go make millions. This is the, the long lost secret of Las Vegas. No one's ever found this out before. So this is monumental. Go out and do it. And that's it. Or is it? Okay, look. The Martingale strategy seems way too good to be true, and it is. And in fact, I spent a few days trying to debug my code to figure out why I programmed something wrong or why I was calculating something wrong because there's no way in hell that there's a strategy as simple as this that people haven't taken advantage of to shut down Vegas. I mean, if this was true, why aren't people doing it more? Why is Vegas still open? <laughs> And the reality is that it is too good to be true. Um, and there are a few things that Las Vegas casinos have done and casinos around the world have done to prevent this type of gambling. And the Martingale assumption only works with a few assumptions, one of which the casinos have to do something about and one of which is just unattainable as is. The first assumption is that you're rich. You have to be rich to play the Martingale strategy. Um, and let's look at it because... You need an ungodly bankroll to make this work. It's true that losing streaks end, but living through a losing streak is almost impossible in the long run. So let's take a look. Let's say that you're playing at a table that is $1 minimum bet. So you put a dollar out there, you play a hand, you lose the hand. Next bet you put down is $2 because you double every time you lose, right? So now you've wagered a total of $3 and you're $3 in the hole. You lose that hand, you put $4 in, now you're at 7 You lose that hand, now you're putting $8 down on the next hand, which means 15 Next hand is 16 and you've lost 31 Next hand is 32 and you've lost $63. So add a zero to the normal minimum bet in Las Vegas, and if you lose six hands, you're down $630 before you recoup any of that money. That's exponential growth, and that can happen. In fact, I looked at the distribution of hands played under the Martingale strategy, like the players, to see what their, for each player, what was their maximum losing streak? 
how I mean, how often do they lose and what was kind of the worst case per player? The average case was eight losses. So if you're playing a thousand hands using the Martingale strategy, you can expect to lose somewhere in that run of a thousand hands that you play eight times in a row. And if you end up hitting a losing streak of eight in a row, that's going to cost you 1,024 times what you originally bet. So if it's a $5 minimum table, you better be ready to put down $5,000 on one hand to try to get it back. That is just unrealistic, and I don't think anyone on earth can maintain that. The second reason why the Martingale strategy doesn't work is something the casinos have put in. And it seems counterintuitive at first until you look at it this way. And it's the concept of table limits. So when you go up to a table, you'll notice there's a minimum bet. There's also a maximum bet. And in most cases, in fact, whenever I was in Vegas, I didn't pay attention to the maximum bet because, hell, I'm betting $5 a hand, so I don't care what the maximum is. <laughs> I'm not getting there. But they put this maximum bet in place for people that are going to try this strategy because in the end, if you do let the strategy run and you come across someone who is rich enough, they will win and they'll run the table and they'll shut down the casino if you let them play long enough. So these table limits are designed to keep you from betting money. And when they keep you from betting money, the casino wins. I mean, at face value, I would think the casino would say, yeah, put $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 down. If they're going to win the game in the long run, just, yeah, go for it. But this makes sure that you can't play a strategy like the Martingale strategy. Because even then, you might get to a point in your losing streak where you have to double your bet and you've reached the table limit. And the second you break your doubling, you have just eaten all of those losses without having a chance to recover them. The Martingale strategy only works if you continue to double and you don't break your pattern. Okay, so to summarize, anyone that tells you the Martingale strategy is the best way to play is someone that hasn't actually played in the casino and someone who hasn't done this type of analysis. So don't listen to them. Instead, tell them <laughs> that it's really the devil talking and that they should think about spending their money elsewhere and you should not gamble with them. <laughs> so let's take a look at some of the other strategies now. The next one is the worst perform performing strategy, which is the Oscar strategy. At the end of the thousand hand simulation, only 10% of players that played Oscars had a profit, which is pretty bad. It's, it's way worse than the house advantage or the edge. And it really just kind of dis dispels the superstition that luck can fall on you. I mean, you're not special for winning a couple hands. And the reason that Oscars breaks down is because you're betting every all of your winnings every single time. Granted, you're only betting one unit of your bankroll each time because when you double your bet, it's all coming from the house. But the second you lose, you give back every dollar of your winnings. And so the likelihood of you withstanding a thousand hands and getting some winnings is really not good. So don't do that one either. And after seeing kind of these two strategies, which are supposed to be kind of card counting light strategies fall apart, it gives a lot of credibility to card counting. At the end of the simulations, the only strategy that was legitimate, that wouldn't break the table limit and wouldn't require a ton of ton of money is the card counting strategy. And again, I'm not advocating for card counting. It's not necessarily illegal, but casinos can ask you to leave if they catch you 
counting cards. So it's not really in the spirit of the game. So I'll just put it that way. But at the end of the thousand hands, 55% of the card counting strategy players had a profit. So it's not guaranteed, but it's better than a dice flip. It does take away the house advantage and give it to the player if you play the card counting 100% correctly. And that kind of leaves the basic strategy right in the middle which is kind of okay for me, right? I'm not, I didn't show up to the table to make a lot of money. I came there to have a good time with my friend for a birthday. And the basic strategy has the lowest barrier to get to the table and to know what you're doing. It's not bad. Statistically, it performs uh, just a, a bit worse than the card counting strategy, but better than trying to be fancy with like a doubling up on your wins or doubling up on your losses. And it's really just kind of, great for a casual player. I mean, you're still going to lose in the long run, but you know, you kind of avoid the the high highs and the the low lows. And you know, to be fair, I've brought some money home from Vegas and I didn't make a profit, but I didn't lose everything either. So I think that's the one that I stuck with. And even though I was intimidated to show up to the table in the first place, I think I ended up maybe just through dumb luck, choosing the right thing. And so maybe lady luck isn't real, but I think dumb luck is something that definitely exists in the universe. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to another round of thoughts. Before I leave you guys today, I want to do the quick shots. So number one quick shot for today is the Martingale strategy is tempting and way too ideal. Don't do it. You can't do it. Casinos know about it. They're smarter than we are. And they have crafted it in a way that it will fail for you. It is just too good to be true. It's just not going to work, so do not do it. Uh, the second one is Oscars is for suckers. Um, you're not special for winning hands. Just show up. Just be basic. It's the way to do it. If you think I'm wrong, then please, please tell me. I would love to hear about it. But based on the simulated data that I have, don't try to get too fancy. Accept the house advantage and just do what it is, right? You know, if it's one of those things that gambling is entertainment and it's just like drinks, movies, sports, etc. You know, you pay for the value of having a good time. And if it's a bit of house advantage for that value, then you have to be OK with that. If you don't feel OK with that and you feel cheated in gambling, take a look at what you're at, how you're spending your money. And, you know, why do you feel pressured into gambling? I mean, there's other things you can do in Las Vegas or when you're on vacation, you don't have to do that. And frankly, as much as, you know, the time that I spent putting this episode together, I only played blackjack one time when I was at Vegas, just one, one session. And the rest of the time we spent doing you know, the zip line down Fremont street and going to restaurants, going to clubs. And frankly, I enjoyed those things more than any of the gambling that I did. So there's no pressure into gambling if you don't want to. And if you want to just sit down at a table, it's fine to just play the minimum. Again, before I leave you guys, I want to give the information for the National Council on Problem Gambling. If you or anyone else you know has a problem gambling, reach out to them. www.ncpgambling.org. Call or text at 1-800-522-4700. Chat with them online at ncpgambling.org slash chat. All right. Thanks, guys. Finish up your drinks. Next round's on me.